0: mean when somebody has a platform to share their story and what that means to them we started with an idea of a book not really knowing where it would go or what it would become and it has just really become that space for people to take up and to claim that hasn't often or always really been
1: welcome to architecting i'm your host angela Mazzi. you made it this is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architected. Hey, Bright Lights, it's Angela. Welcome to this episode of Architecting. I am so excited to have with me the editors of a great new book called Out in Architecture. We're going to start with hearing from the two masterminds behind the project, Giselle Santa Rivera and Sarah Nelson-Woenich. In this episode you'll hear where the idea came from what they did to put it together and write and publish a book in less than a year why this book matters not just for those who are out in architecture but to create a whole new discourse around diversity, curiosity, empathy, and understanding in how we interact with one another and how we approach projects. In our part two episode, you'll hear from the other three editors of the book, Amy Rosen, Beau Frail, and A.L. This is gonna be a really great series and I'm so glad that you are here with me to listen in. So let's take a listen. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
2: Giselle Santos-Rivera. I am the Global Director of Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at HKS. I'm a principal, a medical planner, and an architect. I'm in the D.C. office, and I sort of came to this work through my work in healthcare, my passion for people, and also recognizing the challenges and opportunities that I had coming up in the career through a recession and several challenges. That's why I do what I do today. My name is Sarah
0: nelson Winich, and I use um, she, her pronouns. I'm with HKS, our Atlanta office, project architects, and our current commercial mix studio largely and really kind of got into where I am today mostly from a love of connecting with people, which is an interesting way to be in architecture, but really just enjoy not only how to actually make the places and spaces that everybody gets to occupy and be a part of, but the teams and the people who are a part of actually making that happen. And so find that that fulfills me and allows me to thrive not only in my day-to-day, but everything that I get the opportunity to do beyond just the walls of the work that I do with HKS. Really excited to be here and share more about that.
1: You both have a very robust, thriving career, so why this book? How did this whole project get started?
2: Well, it's one of those things where the universe aligns better than you ever expected. I had the privilege and the fortune of being part of the Arquitina cohort that developed Latinas in architecture, raising the 1%, which was a phenomenal experience. Even though I did not write anything for City Shapers, I had intentionally, at the very beginning, wanted to support the team of Immigrant Architects Coalition with their book. At the end, I decided that being Puerto Rican, of course, and being a citizen, I didn't feel completely comfortable tearing. sharing that kind of story but the idea about storytelling and having those things established in a book for posterity forever started to become very intriguing for me but more than intriguing because it was something that I had thought about for a very long time it seemed incredibly plausible it seemed all of a sudden that we can write a book we can do these things and it just takes intentionality and time and commitment and a lot of energy it always was in the back of my mind. And I was thinking, well, how can I create something that really shares the love and passion of the LGBTQIA community for architecture, what it means to be LGBTQIA in architecture, and how varied and completely heterogeneous our community is, because it's really at intersectionality of other, so many other identities. And it wanted to be very rich in my mind. I just kept thinking it has to be very bold and rich and very appropriate. It was at the same time that also things were happening in the world in florida and and texas a lot of things were happening with the trans community the drag bills were coming up the don't say gay bill was coming up and it felt very poignant and very appropriate to try to do something but the first issue was where's the community where are we? What is the narrative overall? We knew that Built Out Alliance had a couple of chapters, but where was that community within architecture that we could all come together and grasp? Of course, we have LGBTQIA alliances, and Chicago was the first, and then Austin, and I knew Austin Alliance because of both. And I just started thinking, okay, I think I know enough people. I know I don't have the bandwidth to do this, but if we do this together, it could be really interesting. But it was still a thought in my mind. And enter Sarah nelson Boynich. We were doing amazing work at HKS with our Jetta committees. She was treasurer and pretty much co-chair of the Pride AIG, which is the first formal and amazing AIG, Affinity and Inclusion Group at HKS. I knew she was already engaged in AIA, winning awards and being amazing rock star that she is, but we had never met in person. So we were talking and we were collaborating and doing all of this amazing work. And in the Women's Leadership Summit in San Jose, We ended up meeting in person. And I had already had a lot of energy and great conversations that day when she sat down. It was one of those things that I just went, okay, so we're gonna change the world. And what are we gonna do together? Because you're amazing. And I know you have so much more energy than I do. And she's very strategic, very methodical. We balance each other really well. I'm just going a thousand miles an hour and she's very intentional. Okay, so how are we actually gonna do this? And I'm already in Pluto. So I thought this could really work. It was serendipitous and it was one of those things that you just know you're meant to meet a person that's going to change the world with you.
1: Hand off to you now, Sarah. She plants these seeds. What happens next? (laughs) Oh
0: my gosh, she does. About four days after we leave the Women's Leadership Summit, I get this email and it essentially says... Hey, do you want to get on a call? Because this whole book thing, I was actually serious about that. And here's three other people that we're going to do it with. I went back recently and looked to see when did this actually happen? Because we started this thing around this time, but what day actually was it? And it was October 5th of 2022. And I get this email that's introducing me to AL Hugh, Amy Rosen, Beau Frail, and I think Ryan Gann and Laura Teegarden were also on the email. And so it was just this small collective of people that essentially said collectively between like the seven of us, we know a lot of people who are LGBTQIA in architecture. What do we all think about writing a book? And pretty much within that month within a couple of weeks, we got on the phone and we all started talking about what does this look like and what do we want it to look like. We started setting up kind of different conversations and Giselle really started to bring in her experience with Tinas and architecture as well as with City Shapers to kind of say this is how they did it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that this is how we have to do it. And we all kind of started just road mapping between the small group of us, what do we think this looks like? What challenges do we think we foresee? We pretty quickly realized that, yes, we want to self-publish because not self-publishing is incredibly cumbersome and long and expensive. But then that really also let us have that autonomy and ownership to really set the framework and set the process that we wanted to. And pretty quickly, after the kind of fall duration happened, we started to kind of ask ourselves, well, who do we know who's out in architecture or LGBTQIA architecture? And I think it was kind of one of those moments where, as Giselle had said earlier, you know, you you look up and you know of people or you've heard of people, you have your own colleagues and your own peers, but there's not ever really been the safety to have a space to say, hey, we actually all can be very comfortably present and look across the country and connected these dots and see this map of communities starting to form kind of was just a word of mouth between the seven of us of who do we actually know because we Just know them as people. But from that, beautifully kind of came our first in January email out to the first group of authors to say, yeah, there's 15 people. Are you interested in co-authoring and writing a book together? And for the most part, people responded and said, yes, when do we get on the phone and how can we be a part of this? From there, just continue to have calls pretty much once a month, kind of trying to then expand a broader network and a broader circle of authors to say we've started a framework, but again, we know that this is going to continue to change the more people that we bring into this. So what is this continue to look like for everybody else who's getting involved in this? Where do we think that we're going? And at that time, like in January, February of this year, we thought we were going for June and that we were going to publish in June, which, you know, I love running a million miles a minute, but we loved it because we were all like, this makes sense. June is pride month for most major cities in the US. Let's go for it. Let's aim for that. And then kind of April of this past year hit and we kind of ground to a halt and realized very quickly, wait a second, we need to slow down to be able to continue to go fast. And I think that was beautiful for a lot of different reasons. It brought us back to center and back to kind of realizing what are we doing and why are we doing it? It allowed us to be a bit more expansive and realize this is not just about publishing a book. This is about connecting with each other, which has and forever will be the moment that has completely changed my life in addition to changing the trajectory of what the book has become. And then it also let us open up to a broader range of authors. Uh, We stopped for a moment and we said, we know that this first volume and we acknowledge that this first book will not and cannot possibly include every single voice that it's got to include. But for this moment in time, what are additional voices that we were missing? We had about 18 authors at the time and the book is published today with 24 authors in it. So we took that moment in slowing down to really not only ask ourselves where we wanted to be, but also why we were doing it and what we hoped and wanted the process to be more than just this act of publishing a book.
1: It is really incredible what you all pulled off. And in the timeframe, I mean, this is less than a year. And here we are. We've got this book. It's amazing. And I love, Giselle, when you mentioned that there is this wonderful serendipity, because I met you in a taxi cab going to the airport after an AIA conference. And Sarah and Bo were speaking in the same group as me and my partner with Architects as Healers, Buildings as Medicine, Megan Mizoko at Aspire this year in Asheville. And then I saw Sarah make a post about the book. And it's almost like, this is why I met these two, because they were clearly both put in my path. I love how it's all just the right place the right time the right ideas and then the momentum behind it talk a little bit about what you were trying to express specifically with the book and why you wanted to tell certain stories what is it that people need to hear
2: the desire for the book started about visibility I wanted to build a community that was visible. I wanted an intentional community that chose visibility, acknowledging that not everybody feels the comfort level in being visible, which then builds upon the need for greater visibility and clarity. I was seeing in the industry and in the US and in the world The need to understand why this particular perspective is so important and valuable. In one example, at HKS, we were being asked, what is our position or how are we designing hospital facilities, especially those back-of-house spaces, for clinicians that need gender-affirming care themselves? So what do the back of house spaces in healthcare, which are all gendered spaces, right? To go from a dirty corridor in an OR to go to a clean corridor, you have to choose a door. And it's a gendered door. Sometimes we forget that one decision that we make or one intervention may not be sufficient for everything that we're doing. So when I was thinking, okay, stories, it can't just be my story. And I've been sharing my story. I know Sarah has also shared her story. And that's how I met Bo and A.L., We were invited to share our stories, particularly through the lens of how we viewed ourselves in the profession around LGBTQ. And then I realized we are all so distinct. Our experiences within the LGBTQ community are completely distinct. Then you color it or add race, age, where you live in the world and where you are, what you're experiencing, if you've had trauma or not trauma. Like all of these things are so complex. And if we're doing these interventions, that are meant to support the spaces that we're developing in response to our clients, it can't just be me holding up a flag. We're a lot more heterogeneous than just these stories. And I was also thinking of my experience coming up in the profession, where I felt very alone until I met Andy Roman, who happened to be part of the LGBTQIA community and was my boss. And he was the first to take me to San Francisco and Castro Street. And I recognize what a privilege I have had to feel like I needed to leave Puerto Rico to find myself, choose D.C. because it's D.C. And because I saw the community being very open and having a boss that's part of the LGBTQIA community that brings me outer, if that's a thing, brings me more out because he's so comfortable being who he is, a leader, a VP in an organization, and also one of the first people to get married at the steps of the Capitol. Knowing how I grew up in Puerto Rico, being deathly afraid of who I was, who my family was, and how they could be impacted, going to DC and having a completely changing life experience, being embraced, and then also recognizing what's happening in the world through the lens of my role as director of Jedi and how I could support or not support through what I'm doing in my role and my firm other people, We needed to tell such a multitude of stories and they had to be intersectional and they had to span the United States and they had to span varying degrees of engagement in in architecture. It needed to be a community that knew more people in the community so that we could build the community of the people that is unseen. I love building platforms. So it was an opportunity for me to continue to build different kinds of platforms that make new people shine and excel and i knew also bringing this cohort together my pitch was the book and everybody knows i was like we just need a book because we just need to do something now and it needs to happen and it needs to happen immediately and we can't we can't slow down because in my mind and as sarah mentioned to me this was always just the first drop in the bucket that would build a ripple that would be beyond us i know many were not part of other spaces but i was like i just need to get them in a room I need to give them a tight deadline. I need to just say everything that I want to say because I know it's going to be filtered in a beautiful way because these people are always so intentional and kind and thoughtful that my idea was just going to be that first spark and they were going to make it into the community that it is today. I'm going to say it till the day I die. This is the house of joy. We have just built the house of joy with not only this space, but what... Sarah and Bo were building what A.L. has been doing for a very long time, what Amy is doing outside of traditional architecture. I knew that all of these people coming together with their distinct passions was going to make something that I would have never imagined. I hope that when I die, we're in volume 45 and that all I can say is I just started that little bit of a ripple and that now the narrative around what it means to be LGBTQIA in architecture is truly broad and it's about love and kindness and it's about inclusion and it's about complexity and intersectionality. And we miss that when we're doing design. We, I think we miss that for many, for many things. I think for me, it's just Being part of the LGBTQIA community already has so many of these pieces embedded. It's sort of a celebration of all of identities. And we were very intentional in trying to make it race forward. We wanted to expand generations, rank title, all of those things. I love that Sarah mentioned that we needed to slow down to speed up. It was their vision and what they wanted to bring as their voice that made that happen. It took a little bit of time and I may have been because I was running a thousand miles. And But that pause that invited so many more voices and intentionality is really what made the shift. And I think what may, has made this book into a movement And I hope that other people recognize that this is an opportunity for them to share their voice. There's so many things that I just want to pull out and
0: hold on to that because I think this has been a very interesting month because it's like we've been doing this for a year, but then it's like the whole clock reset and now we're doing it all differently and it's brand new and we have no idea what's coming and it just keeps on coming. But it's amazing because it's and it's just one of those moments where you look up and you're like, you never know quite what is going to happen. And then it starts happening and you're living in the middle of it and you're experiencing it. And you get to experience it with 24 other people across the country, but also like 300 other people who now have a copy of this book, which is absolutely insane to just sit there and think that after a year of doing this, we're only three weeks in and this is kind of where we are now. All of kind of that about not being able to anticipate or expect it, it kind of carries me back to really how the book started to come together. we didn't actually know what any authors were going to be writing about until around August or so. So I think when looking at kind of our grand scheme of timelines, by June, we had essentially our cohort of the 24 who were going to write. And we had a July deadline that then became an August deadline. And by August, we had a first draft from pretty much everybody. But we didn't know what everybody's stories would be. And it kind of was an open script where we said, here's a couple of questions where if you need a prompt, um, need something to kind of guide you, through here's some questions. We're also happy as a group of co-editors to jump on the phone and kind of talk through any of this with you. Had a handful of stories that formed because of those conversations, but we didn't really know. And I think there was some magic about that where for a moment, we could just decouple expectations and say like, there is not an expectation. There's not this pillar or this box that you have to fit into to represent whatever anybody might think that you have to represent. It's simply just what is sharing your story look like. And there was a much broader group of that. There were about nine people or so who were involved in the reading and editing of the first drafts, as well as actually compiling and creating the book itself. So when I say we self-published, we wrote it designed it, created it, published it, marketing it, and now it's out in the world. And so all of that has happened because of the efforts of multiple different collections of people from the 24, which have been absolutely incredible through that process. And by August, we started to see these themes and these trends in stories emerge and say, well... Each one of these is so unique and distinct. We had no idea what we were going to start to see as people started to write and started to share and embody what sharing their story meant. But now here, these are starting to come together. And through that, we've seen three main themes, which is identity beyond practice, the intersection of identity and practice, and then reclaiming space and reclaiming your own identity. But that was not, not something that this time last year, we were ever sitting around thinking, all right, these are the sections of the book if we had to define them by any kind of rigid line sections. And even now, there are, are multiple stories that actually bridge across them and touch on many of these different kind of themes and we are to a degree can set up this framework and these hopes of what we're doing and why we're doing it but we're also kind of just gonna continue experiencing it and learning it as we go and we've seen that all the way throughout this including kind of with the author's stories which has just been incredible to watch emerge and really see what does it mean when somebody has a platform to share their story and what that means to them and even for my own self how this has been a process of like actually digging into why am i writing and what does this mean for me and what does it mean to be out in architecture. I think it's just been one of those beautiful, unexpected things where we started with an idea of a book, not really knowing where it would go or what it would become. And it has just really become that space for people to take up and to claim that hasn't often or always really
1: been there. It is needed both the identity of an architect and saying, where do I fit in? Where is my community? How do I practice in a different way or not? What are the right questions? I loved what you said earlier, Giselle, about the gendering of so many environments that we encounter. And there's many other things in a space that either makes someone feel empowered and welcomed and included, or can send a very different message. Did you uncover any ahas? Does practicing different lead to different design questions? And will the world start to look different because we're having these conversations?
2: I hope because I've seen that happen in other spaces. We kind of chatted about this while we were putting together our ideas around the book and even the session at NOMA. This is a lot of how I show up and how I envision Jedi in a space. The most important thing to understand is what is a lived experience and what is an adjacent experience? And as much as we would like to believe that we understand somebody else's lived experience, the best we can do is repeat it. It's hard for us to learn something differently that we haven't experienced. Adjacency, knowing somebody, seeing that experience still does not mean the lived experience. What I'm hoping, and I know a lot of us also hope with that book, is that we provide more clarity in how our lived experiences shape how we think because how we think shapes how we talk how we talk shapes how other people understand us it shapes our character it creates our behavior and that's our destiny is the reality is it's hard for anybody to truly understand somebody else's lived experience and the best we can do is ask questions and what better way to think about what questions we need to ask is about trying to understand somebody else's lived experience It's listening to a story, trying to internalize the story, and asking more questions until we feel comfortable enough to understand what are the things that we need to ask ourselves and we need to introduce into the process to facilitate that engagement i think there are parts of the book that does start to acknowledge how you translate to the built environment but for me the most important thing is i want people to read the book and try as best as they can to ask themselves the question would this have been my lived experience do i understand truly what it means for this person to exist in the world. What does it mean to be in a gendered space? Because most people don't have to think about that. I don't have to think about that. I've never had to think about that. My fear has always been of being outed and people be feeling uncomfortable about it. So going to the bathroom, that was my issue. But not what bathroom I have to use or what happens using that bathroom. Human beings, we fall back to our conclusions and their conclusions are socially focused and socially based on the lived experiences. If somebody tells us something else, The best we can do is wonder and ask the question. So with this book, we want people to be even more curious. We want people to be kinder in their curiosity, to also give themselves grace, but be curious about what other lived experiences could impact how they think about the built environment and the world. For many of us, we're always thinking, well, who's missing? Who's missing at the table? We did that constantly during the framework and the design process for the book is who's missing? Who are we not highlighting? whose voice needs to be at the table. And I'm sure we missed some voices, but we were trying to be intentional. And every time we brought somebody in, it was kind of like starting from scratch. Somebody like me, and that's a little frustrating, but it is frustrating because we want an outcome to happen immediately, right? We want the win. We want it to happen But we also recognize that our frustration is part of our bias and that we need to slow down to incorporate those other voices, that we always need to be curious in how we're putting these things together, the time and space that we're allotting for these conversations and also understand that there is always a risk when we're doing these things. And the best we can do is show up best as we can with the things that we understood and also share. Now it's your turn to take volume two and fill the gaps that we missed. And it's your job to give it more life, more light, take it further. We just started with that little drop and now we're hoping that other people read the book that are are not part of the LGBTQIA community and look at their stories and their life through this new lens. Hopefully we do end up with better questions when we're going to projects. Something as simple as, am I thinking about intersectionality? Am I thinking about who's missing? Am I thinking about the outcome of somebody else's lived experience? What do I say? What do I not say? When do I shut up? Or when do I use the space to amplify? Hopefully, the book starts to get people to think differently, and in turn, design differently. From what I've seen, it already has. And that's maybe not necessarily come from
0: the book itself, but it's come from the conversations that have come from the book itself. It's been amazing. I think back personally to a conversation that I had with one of the co authors, Chris Damrick, right when he was About to become a part of this, and and the questions that he was asking, and I sat there in this moment with a conversation with Chris was the first time that he and I had ever virtually met. I was like, "You're asking me questions that I don't actually know that I have the answers to for myself." That was the moment where things started to slow for me because it started to make me realize my experiences versus my adjacencies, what I have had assumptions of, what I've had bias of, what I haven't asked questions about, and. And what not asking those questions about has led to not having that intentionality. And I think it was like this huge moment for me when you talk about design, when you talk about process, when you talk about how that could impact the work that architects do, that changed me on a dime um, because- it made me slow down and think about the seat that I sit in, but also look up and see the broader world around me and the seat that everybody else sits in. And asking that question of how do I show up there? How do I show up to ask those questions and also take a step back to let other people answer those questions? And I've seen that change in not only the book, I've seen that change in my work, in the process that I have, in the way that I'm able to interact and engage with teams and designs that we're putting together. I had a completely change a proposal process where for the first time we slowed down, we asked internally, who's not in this room within our own company, who do we need to bring in to say, we've got to do something different and this is our opportunity to do it different. Let's not move away from doing that thing differently. Let's actually lean into it and let us change the outcome of the way that we do our work because the space was created for more people more experiences, more voices to be brought into it. And I think I've seen that not only in my own personal experience, in my own work experience, I saw that at NOMA conference, finally getting to meet Chris in person at NOMA conference, and really hearing the space that that allowed for people who have always had the opportunity and space to celebrate a part of their identity through being a part of NOMA, but have never had what the Outland Architecture panel conversation was able to bring into that room to say this is deep and rich and intersectional and complicated and sometimes messy and not often pretty, but we're all here together and we're going to be in this space space and experience it together. And I think it's not incredibly tangible when you look up and say, well, what's like, what's the result of a space for that? But I think when we think about what's the result of how people are impacted and how they might leave this and think differently, to Giselle's point, question differently, ask differently. I've seen the conversations already be that spark and that catalyst to say, the book is here now, you can't avoid it and you can't ignore it. And our stories are here. And so what does that mean with how everybody else is choosing to engage and have a dialogue around it that then could be a thread that ripples into
1: the actions that we have? We do this across the board. We don't ask the questions because we think we know or we think we should know, or we have a lot of assumptions. And we don't know whether something is easy or hard for someone, whether they're comfortable or not, until we have that conversation with them. We shouldn't assume. And this is just powerful in a way that All humans interact with one another because there's so many assumptions that we make about what people expect or what they're willing or not willing to do that if we just stop feeling awkward about it and had that conversation, things would be different. For people interested in getting a copy, how do they do that? So we do have an
0: Instagram account, which is probably the most up-to-date account with information. It's just out in architecture. And through that, we have a link that links to a website that has a contact form, which has an email to get to the five of us. It goes directly to all of us and any one of us can respond. And then it also has a link to purchasing out in architecture through Blurb, which has been the self-publishing company that we've gone through to date. And we're looking at a few additional options, but right now just through Blurb. So Instagram out in architecture is the best way to get to both of those points of
1: contact. Before we leave, is there any final thought that you would like to share about the book or the process or your own career arc?
2: When times are challenging, when things are not going the way that you expect, right? Because we've talked about expectation quite a bit on the call, and that's a big thing, right? Assumptions versus expectations of your own and, and others. When times are challenging, that's the time when you really show up and show your best self Or you don't. Everything that's happening in the world right now is incredibly challenging. After putting all of this together and seeing this group of people in a challenging time really step up, not only to provide space for others to thrive and engage, but to allow themselves also to grow and change and really build a community was something that I didn't expect this way. Like I knew if I just connect these people, this is gonna be amazing because they're fantastic. But there was a time where there was a lot of stuff going on in, you know, professionally and personally and that I could not dedicate enough time to the book as I would like. But what this community did, what Sarah did and her wife and all of them as well, they reminded me that all of this work, all the Jedi work is about building community and about doing this together and about filling the gap and pouring in when you need to pour and also letting your cup fill when you need to. I didn't know I needed that as much as I did until this happened. I was pushing everybody a thousand miles an hour and we all allowed ourselves that pause. And I remember having that conversation with Sarah where something shifted and she didn't articulate that it was a shift, but I saw something and I went, okay, you need to calm down (laughs) to myself. Something really beautiful is happening. And I knew that because of all the things that I needed, that I needed to take care of, I needed to take a step back. But I also knew that they all had my back, that they were all going to make this better than my original idea. And they did. And what I love most about this book and what I hope people get from the book, the LGBTQIA community forever, I think one of our strongest suits is that we build on each other, that we don't let go of the past because we know those are all stepping stones and we're all building on each other because all of this is bigger than us. And maybe it's tied to the overall narrative of the community, but that was what I needed. And I hope that's what people get out of the book this is all incremental. This is all by accretion because we want to make something bigger, better than all of us will ever be. But it took all of us to get to that space too. So I'm going to thank again, Sarah, for really pushing through and taking time when even I could not see the time that was needed. And I think that that's something that's a superpower that she has. You know, everybody in the group has a superpower, but I'm very grateful for her particular superpower in this case. If I'm the ruler of the world,
0: then Giselle is the ruler of the universe. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> it took the collective. I think this book happened because it kept the 24 of us together. And because the 24 of us were making it happen together. But Giselle, for being the spark to bring us together to begin with, something always has to start somewhere. And it started with you. That's where it started. That's where it began. And I don't think that we ever would be here today. Giselle, had you not been here in this moment to say a year ago hey we've got to do something and we've got the opportunity and i don't know where it's going to go or how it's going to do it but i'm going to throw these people in this room together virtual room together because it wasn't until like two weeks ago that many of us even met in person for the first time but you're going to go into this virtual room and something's going to come out of it i remember points along the way thinking to myself are we going to do this is it going to happen and then there was some swing of energy that came back by the time august hit and we had all first drafts from everyone i was like well i yes, we actually have to do this now. There's no turning back. I want to thank Giselle for being that spark in that person. And for me, you've been not only become a friend, but a personal role model and a mentor because you have been the person that you didn't have, but that I had because you have been here and because you've been visible and present. That's the thing for me to leave with everybody. And the reason why I started and wanted to be a part of this book was because I had so many students in 2022 and 2023 come to me and say, you're the first out lesbian in architecture that I've ever met, which is an immense privilege for me to be able to say about how much that shocked me, but also about how much that upset me because I looked around and I could count on one hand, the number of open and visible LGBTQIA architects that I knew Giselle being one of them. And I realized in this moment, I was like, I don't want somebody to go through anything similar to what I've gone through. And what I've gone through is minimal and com- It's not comparative, but it's minimal, right? And to say like that discomfort, that questioning, that uncertainty, when you realize that there's this energy and this opportunity to make a change and to say, well, I aspire for this to make a change and make it different from where I've been for those who are to come or even for those who I'm around right now. The amazing thing about this is that this book not only touches those who are entering the profession, but those who are there right now who have lived... Lived a career and a lifetime of not being able to be out and visible in themselves and being able to celebrate generationally what this could bring. And Giselle, the fact that you took that space and you said, "This this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to make this space and see where it goes. My life has forever been changed by this. And I certainly hope for anybody who picks up the book, who might be curious, who wants to know more, who's a part of this, who this may be common threads with your own story, that this could have the opportunity to continue changing the profession and the world so that way dealing with different problems in five years than what we dealt with five years ago.
1: Thank you both so much for bringing this to the world. And we will be talking to the other three editors as well, so everyone can hear their points of view and what they also brought to this monumental effort that I think is going to be the start of much more to come. Really appreciate you sharing the process and also where we're going next with this, because it definitely sounds like this is a comma, not a period.
2: Thank you for the invitation to do this. Thank you for doing this. This was fun.